Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. Today we are mixing it up a little bit, not talking about so much short-term as a few other types of real estate investing. Today we have two guests, Glenn and Amber Schwarm of the Home Flipping Workshop, and we are going to talk about a lot of different things today. So uh, stay tuned, but we'll start out with saying, hey, how's it going, Glenn and Amber? You're good. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks, yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on. You bet. Yeah. So let's start out. If you'll just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate investing. How far back you want to go? <laughs> as far as you want. We got plenty of time. So as think, much so, detail as possible, actually, because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people out here who might be able to relate. Sure. So if you want to go way back. So 30 years ago, I bought my first two rental properties. Uh, I was 19, uh, 30, that's 35, four years. Wow. Anyways, over 30 years ago, I bought my first two properties. They were kind of in the hood and they weren't good properties. And I ended up, I was a real, I was 19. I ended up losing those. I, I declared bankruptcy and it was, a, it was a rough time in my life. This is 34 years ago. I think the idea of real estate always like appealed to you. But always. You just had no idea how to do it. Always. And there yeah. wasn't a lot of education back then either. It was a simple, it was a simple assumption. I took it over for 50 bucks. I was like, oh yeah. And I, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, in the, in those kind of properties, they pay cash a lot. And I'm like, oh, I hang out with my friends. I got cash. Oh, you want to pay a mortgage? What's that? You know? So I didn't know what I was doing. So anyways, then I, I put it on hold for a long time. I opened my own businesses and I, I worked businesses for a while. And then, um, Amber and I got together. We bought a rental property in 2003 and that was the worst rental property. We still own it. That's a good one now. That was we made every wrong move possible on that. We decided to start flipping houses in 07. And so we flipped our first house in 07 and we did it through blood, sweat, tears. And then we decided to start figuring out how to leverage time and leverage other people's money and time. And we grew. We did, you know, one the first year and three the next and seven and twenty. And then now we're we our years are over a hundred every year. Combination of wholesale. Um, traditional flip, quick flips, um, you know, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, all, all that, all the combined. But I think it's really important for the listeners to know that we started out of desperation. I yeah. mean, like we, we had, neither one of us had college degrees. Um, we were both working in multi-level marketing companies. We, I mean, you were $80,000 in credit card debt. And yeah. I think I had 10 grand. I mean, it wasn't a lot. So we, we really started out of desperation. So that first house that we did, um, it was just like the idea of it that excited us because we needed to make like big chunks of cash legally <laughs> really quickly. And at that first house, we ended up after everything was said and done, all the bills were paid, credit cards were paid off. We ended up making about $17,000 on it. And then I think it was our second and, one we made. Like yeah, this 30, is 07. So we sold it in 08. So which if you know that, the, you know, yeah. the world was falling apart with real estate because there was a real estate crisis. Everybody was like, this is the worst time in the world to get involved in real estate. 
And for us, we didn't know any different. We just kind of like jumped in with both feet. And it, it reminds me a lot of where we are now. You know, number one, there's a lot of people in desperate situations. But number two, just the way the economy is, even though the interest rates are are higher, there's, you know, more inventory starting to come on the market and more deals are starting to happen. And so it, for us, it's kind of an exciting time because it reminds us of, of what it was like when we first started. But we we truly started out of desperation and yeah. neither one of us had construction backgrounds. I mean, to this day, Glenn doesn't even know how to read a tape measure. Do so. I have to? I don't have to. So... <laughs> Okay, so I definitely want to hit on the the 2007 thing. So that does seem like looking back, kind of a crazy time to get started. But there are, you know, a lot of similarities between then and now. And I was 19 in 2007. So I, you know, missed the boat on any potential opportunities during that last downturn. But during this one, I'm now an experienced real estate investor. So I'm like, oh, man, these are this is kind of looking... Uh, a little bit interesting in terms of actually being able to get deals. Like, yeah, interest rates are not as exciting as they were, but that's why it was impossible to get deals because right. interest rates were low. So what similarities do you see between back then as a new investor and then now as an experienced investor, having kind of been through a similar situation in two different points of your career? You know, I think for, for us, I think one of the things that we didn't know what we didn't know back then. So 2007, 2008, we put our blinders on everybody everybody said don't do don't do it we we had no fear because we didn't know any better right we were just moving forward and didn't know any different we didn't have the experience now we have experience and we look back it's a very different you know as i'm sure you know it's a very different situation today right yes we're, there's a recession here you know you can argue if it's here or it's coming whatever and so it's it's definitely happening it's not the same though because back then that all of that was caused by you know bad lending in the real estate industry that's not what that's not what's causing this. This is traditional a lot of stuff just going on right now that's that's causing it. And it's not it's not just real estate. So it's very interesting. So I personally don't think we're gonna have, you know, my crystal ball is broken, right? It always is, but I don't think we're gonna have a massive crash. Like back then we had a ton of foreclosures. And um short do you do short sales in your business? I'm just curious. I see the short-term shop. Is that what you guys do or no? No, no, short-term rentals. Got it. Okay, short term yeah, rentals. Not a lot of short sales. Great. So back back in the day. That was the thing. Everybody was doing short sales like crazy. And Amber and I are not trendy investors, meaning we're almost boring. So the, the trendy investor right there was the short sales. I knew guys that were doing hundreds of short sales. And I told Amber, I remember way back when I said, that's going to fade out. Eventually, there won't be a bazillion foreclosures. And I want to know what I'm doing to move forward. I want to know what to do there. And so we stayed with the fundamentals of what we do. So and that, that, that has carried us all through all different market cycles. And I'd say what's happening now it almost feels like more of a normal market than it's it, a bad market. Yeah, if you started three years ago, then this feels horrible to you. If you're like 7%, right. 8%, oh my God. When we started, that was the rate. It was 7%, 8%. So, we didn't, you know, my brother, my brother in the 80s bought a house that was at 17 or 18%. So, you know, this feels like a more normal, you know, six or seven is kind of a more normal place to be. It's been insane because of the two and a half percent and two percent and three percent. It's been crazy, but you know, I think that I think things are going to normalize a little bit. There's going to be a great opportunity for us to take over people's mortgages coming up. I think in a recession, people are going to struggle, and when they struggle, you know, I think learning how to be have creative financing and do subject to financing when you take over existing loans. Look, if you're doing short term rental, you can pick up. You know, we do we do them also, right? We've got about thirteen or fourteen or yeah. whatever we have, and so. If we um, in our portfolio, if we if 
if I can pick up, if somebody's struggling and I can take over their mortgage at 3% instead of going to the bank and getting a commercial rate of 6 or 7% right now, I'm a happy boy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I think you have to learn all those techniques to go forward. So you, change your, you have to change your strategy a little bit in this market. And I think there's going to be a cleansing of the industry because there were a lot of people that got into real estate in the last few years because yeah. it was easy. I mean, I mean, the market covered a lot of mistakes. Oh, you, know, yeah. you, could, you could get houses done and make a ton of mistakes and still make money. And that's probably not going to be the case going forward. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that were making that easy money that are going to get filtered out because they're not willing to... Um, to learn to learn the the other way of doing it that's you know not just what's trending at the moment but like Glenn said go back to the fundamentals of real estate and the, because in any market you can make money so I think there's also the opportunity for new investors to come in in this type of market learn it the right way learn how to how to do it right now and then that way they're set up for pretty much any market that you know and then when there is another cycle where the interest rates are lower you know then it's an even more of an advantage. Avery, we've been through a lot of market cycles. So we've been, that's that's one thing that is our, our lure to people is that we've been around for a long time. We didn't just start a couple of years ago. We've been doing this through multiple cycles, including the last horrific crash. And that's where we built people like you. You guys were so smart. You you picked the moment in time. I'm like, we were desperate. I was lucky. I didn't, I didn't pick a moment. I didn't know. Looking back, I saw it was a moment. But now I didn't know. But I think that we've been through so many cycles of ups and downs, ups and downs. We struggled for years until this last boom came along and it took our portfolio. It was like, holy crap, it just raised all the equity. No, you know, in a, in a rising tide, all boats rise, right? So it's good stuff. Yeah, and I think a lot of investors make the mistake of trying to wait for the perfect moment, trying to find that perfect moment to get started and then they never do. And I always compare it to uh, like getting ready to have kids. You're never going to say, okay, it's perfect. We're totally ready. Uh, You kind of just like have to jump in and do it. And I think that a lot of people end up never getting started because they're trying to find the perfect moment and you can't, it's impossible to time the market because you would have to be able to predict the future to do that. So no matter what you do, even, even in our, you know, right now our real focus is more, more and we're trying we're we're doing a lot more short-term rentals now we're doing a lot more uh, long-term we're doing a lot more rentals and long-term assets and so even now if you buy and use at a higher rate there's going to come a time when the rate comes back down you can just refinance you can never you should my opinion you should never stop buying real estate it will dollar cost average over the years it will always it'll always outpace inflation it'll always be a good investment that's my opinion and and i think there's a trade-off too for what things cost too so we we're part of a big math real estate mastermind and a couple of years ago um you know, everybody was like, no, new building. We shouldn't do new building because material costs are through the roof because of COVID, da, 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 da. So there was a guy that did this presentation and showed it on a spreadsheet. Yes, but the cost of money is so cheap because the interest rates were so low that, that it was it still made sense to build even with the higher cost of the materials. And I think the same thing is true now. So even though interest rates are lower, like when we first started in 2007, we could get labor done for like next to nothing. I mean, it, no, it was like crazy, really, really crazy. Cheap. So yeah, now so, it's ridiculous. So as inflation goes up and, you know, maybe more homeowners start doing less renovations, then the contractors aren't as busy. And so those stuff prices start to come down and get more competitive with each other. So there's always like that yin and yang and give and take on, you know, yes, maybe you're paying more for the house because the money is more expensive because the interest rates are higher. But there's other things that you can get better deals on that makes it even out. And that, that's just like one example of those things. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And I want to talk about too uh, y'all's short-term rental portfolio. So what's what's in that? You got thirteen or fourteen of them. Where are they? How big are they? All that this fun was, stuff. This was kind of funny. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this we we're from upstate New York. Um, we actually moved to Florida a year and a half ago because um, we had to get out of New York. <laughs> but those are. Well, those are we love the ocean, so we we're on it now. Finally, it was our lifelong dream. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but those are just in normal everyday residential neighborhoods. And it is not a travel destination because Avery, nobody says, Hey honey, let's jump on a plane and go to Albany, New York on vacation. <laughs> but you know, there's still weddings and funerals and people having surgery and work crews that go through there or people that are, that are moving to the area. You know, they're, they're... Wait, wait, who travels for surgery. What was that one? Oh no, we have, we have people that come oh, really? <laughs> sometimes. Oh, no, I see specialists. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, her, her and my son run that business and they fired me from it like a yeah. year and a half ago. They go, we can, we can run this business without you. Get out of here. I'm like, okay, no. So now go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but that's the cool part about those houses is I was a little nervous in the beginning to start those because it's yeah, not in a travel really. destination. But, you know, let's say we have a house up there that would typically get, you know, maybe $1,500 a month for a traditional rent to a long-term tenant. We're 2Xing or 3Xing our money on those houses as, as short-term rentals. So it, it just makes a whole lot more sense for us to do that to those areas. So typically three, four bedroom houses, yeah, 1,500 square feet. And we make them nice. You know, we don't go get grandma's furniture or garage sale stuff. You know, we, we make them really, really nice. We moved the to, people. you know, the, we moved, when we moved to Florida we we airbnb'd our personal residence up there and that's that was a real nice home that one we do quite well on. yeah that, yeah in the summer we get seven eight hundred bucks a night on it yeah that was well because that's got the pool the hot tub you know it's got the whole oh yeah 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 it's very it's very strange i don't know if you've ever done that before have you ever you ever done that with your own house airbnb? no i haven't we've got two little kids and it would just be impossible to get it how it needs to be with you know all the toys and crap I everywhere so <laughs> even like we, to shove in closets. So we left. We you know, we left New York, and now we live like we live down here on the coast. And so I go. I my mom, my eighty five year old mom's up there. Our twenty three year old sons up there. My daughter up there of eighteen. So I I go back and I'll stay in the house. It's so funny how when you go back to your home, when all your stuff, a lot of our stuff's still there. A lot of our furniture is part of the Airbnb we just bought new down here. And it's no when you don't live in a home, it's no longer a home. It's, it's when you walk in your own house and you see signs up like. Here's the Wi-Fi and here's the toilet area. And here, you know, whatever it might be, you're, you're like, it doesn't feel like home anymore. It feels strange being in my house. It's strange. So, yeah, but it would it's be. A, it's, but it's also a cool feeling because we, we weren't, we, people are like, you have to sell your house to buy that beach house. I'm like, no, we make, we make a lot of money every month on that house now, you know? Yeah, that helps pay for our beach house. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. So is that what made you decide to start short-term renting other houses in Albany or did that start first? Like uh -huh. what made, what was the thing that made you say, I think I'm going to try this as a short-term rental here. So, if it, so we, we bought the house. So that house just talked about the house across the street was owned by a couple. We love them. They were so nice, but they died in their late nineties. 
And when they, we got very close to their family. When they, when they passed, they, after a year, they called us and said, we want you to buy our house, our family house. Now it's right across the street from our house. Like literally, I looked into their window. It's a cul-de-sac, and it came with seven acres of land, all that stuff. So we negotiated and bought that. And after we bought it, Amber and I said, do we dare try a short-term rental? It's across the street. We'll be able to see it. We'll see what it looks like. We'll kind of see what the party situation is, and, and we'll kind of see. And it was right before COVID too. And right that, that's really important to talk about just if we can pause for a minute. Because I, I guess we're going <laughs> to. <laughs> we were, you know, we had, I think we had two at that point, maybe. And well, that one. Then, oh, then. we had a few actually. Yeah. I mean, reservations just like canceled because of COVID. Like everybody freaked out. Oh, yeah. Then something interesting happened because we're about three hours north of New York City. Our All of our Airbnbs booked solid for the whole like, you know, six month time frame where people were like in lockdown. So we, we were still doing, even in a time when things were like really, really nerve wracking and we were like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to travel anymore. We still made phenomenal income on those properties. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, we, I think a lot of people saw kind of a boom during that time. And I think that's when a lot of people kind of got in to, to your point from earlier, a lot of new people got in at a time post COVID where you could just like rent a porta john and just slap it up on Airbnb and make money. And now people are kind of realizing like, oh, this is actually an investment that I have to pay attention to and I have to make tweaks and I have to run it. I can't just slap it up there and leave it and get rich. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think those are the types of people who are going to be selling here pretty soon are the ones that thought that they could just, you know, slap something up and call it a day. And really you do have to manage it. Well, and I think that I think even that as an industry has evolved, like you were saying, you know, people's expectations have definitely changed. People realize that it's not just, oh, people are renting out their own house or a room in their house. Like they're they're having the guests are having expectations that are more like have at a hotel yeah. one than mm -hmm. just, oh, I'm staying at somebody's house when they're not there. Yeah. So I, you have to evolve with it. But definitely not. You know, we, we've got dozens of long term rentals we had for years before we started the short term rental. And it's. It's definitely not passive income, right? Short-term rentals is not passive income. You're in there now. It's passive to me, kind of, because I, because Amber and my son run it. But it's, <laughs> it's still, it's still. We have headaches to deal with, and we have, we've had some, we've had some horror stories and that kind of stuff that happened, and we've had to fight with some towns over the years, and you know, to make sure that people don't, you know, you got those neighbors that they come out and complain, then you have to deal with that. So there's definitely, it's definitely not as simple, um, but it's so worth the extra money, in our opinion. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, short-term rentals have been really good to to me and to my family, and um, we, you guys might not know really any of our story, but so we started with short-term rentals, and we used the income from those to go scale our portfolio in more traditional ways, like you know, apartment buildings, long-term single families, things like that. So I think that uh, what we've kind of come to the idea of independently here is that short-term rentals are a really good addition to any portfolio. I think a lot of people get so pigeonholed into this one asset class that they're going all in on, which is good. You know, you want to be an expert in your asset class, but then they think, well, you know, that's not worth it. You know, I don't want to do short-term rentals because they're more work or right? people who are like really heavy in the short-term world are like, well, why would I do long-term rentals? It doesn't make enough money. Uh, so it, it, I think it's really good to have a diverse portfolio like that. I know a lot of people don't agree with me and they would say, oh no, you need like a thousand short-term rentals because why would you do anything else? Because they make so much money. But to me, you know, you are trading some time and managing that. Uh, so I think it's good to have a little bit of everything.
Well, and houses have different exit strategies that are best for them too. They're also volatile too. I mean, if we're honest, we be honest about it. There, you you could be in an area that all of a sudden they could pull the plug, and then where we are down here, we live on the beach down here, and there's in our towns not allowed. Period. Like I laugh because like we live in an area they don't allow any Airbnb. So I just gotta grab. But two towns over, they do. But they've been there was a big movement to try to shut them shut them down last month. Yeah, they had a huge and a bunch of people showed up and, and they ended up getting voted down because it was so much it brought so much um revenue to the town right so it was uh uh my point is though they may win someday someday someone might get in office might just pull the plug on that in a certain city and if you're you know if you get that could happen where we are up in new york we've had to fight it a couple of times we just have that the wrong i happen to know somebody in the town and you know i was able to, to pull together 50 people to come to a town hall meeting to defend us that were just friends of ours and whatever. So that, but we didn't have that. We may have lost our right to have those. So it's, it's a volatile asset class. So you just be, that's why I, I agree with you, Avery. Don't, I don't think you should have all your eggs in one basket. I think it's a great, it's a great portion. If you want to start there, great, but just be prepared because if a town, I, we always tell everybody, I tell our students, we say, look at buy, buy the short-term rental with the expectation that if, the shit hits a fan and something happens, you can make it a regular rental or do a lease option on it or That's something. Nothing. Right. Have some other exit strategy as a backup. Don't over leverage that because if you get over leveraging that, you could be, be in a world of hurt. Yeah. So some, some, of the, some of the neighborhoods, like like two towns over, these are million dollar plus homes. So if they yank the plug and say, hey, no more Airbnbs here or short term mm -hmm. rental. You know that that's a that's a healthy mortgage payment you oh, gotta yeah. take care of. Oh yeah. And so you yeah, can yeah. And I mean, I live in an area of Florida, and this is kind of how I hedge around that for my personal portfolio. But I live in an area of Florida where it's only been short-term rentals basically forever. Like my grandmother's been renting short-term rentals here since 1937, and the town, if they were to pull the plug on it, the entire town would fall apart because it's only dependent on tourism. There's not a lot of hotels, so I only and there are tons of different, not just this town, but there are a lot of different areas throughout the country that are kind of like that where it would be way too detrimental for the local economies to ever regulate against them because they're not a new thing as of the past 10 years so in areas like i don't know exactly where in florida y'all live but i assume you're somewhere from sarasota south we're mm -hmm. st pete area Saint pete. okay yeah so those areas have a lot of hotels they ha also have a lot of primary homeowners like a lot of people who actually live there because they're actual kind of little metropolises i don't know the correct um uh, plural of that, but they're areas that have other types of industry. So there's a lot of people who actually live there who don't depend on that. Uh, whereas I kind of focus all my portfolio as, as far as short terms are concerned on areas like this. So we're in Destin, there's Panama City, but there's plenty of places throughout the country that are like this, where there's not a lot of hotel presence. They've been dependent on short-term rentals since well before Airbnb was around, since before the internet in some cases. So, um, you know, you always kind of have to make sure that you're choosing the right market. It's definitely not a strategy anymore where you can say, oh yeah, that house down the street for me is for sale. Let's just short-term it and see what happens. You have to be a little more strategic than that for sure. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, we're kind of neighbors. You're not too far from us then. Yeah. Yeah. You're right around the corner. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So let's hit on flipping for a minute because I, I know a lot of our listeners are kind of interested in that, but I don't think a lot of them do. We talk a lot about buying and holding on this show, but not a lot about flipping. So, so sorry, that is, keeps making noise. Um, I thought I had closed my email tab. So I think that a lot of people are interested in doing that. 
but they just don't know where to start. Or maybe they don't know how to analyze. Maybe they don't know. They know probably what a house might be worth once they're finished with it. And they can compare it to like, you know, just a comp on the MLS that's finished and looks good, but they don't know how to calculate how much it's going to cost them to get from point A, what they're buying to point B, what they're selling. So what would, what's y'all's advice on, you know, how to maybe choose a market, how to figure out what your repair costs are going to be, things like that. Gosh, that's, that would go on forever with all that stuff. That's a lot of great questions there. So I guess to summarize, well, here, let me do a little self-promotion right now because I happen to have it. So right here, we have a brand new book came out called The Birth of the Everyday Real Estate Investor. It's how uh, real estate, not stocks, create wealth. And that, that we do, we do chronicle a lot of that, like all you just talked about. It's 270 pages. It's a well, well-written book with all kinds of information there. So that's good. But I repeat guess the name of it real quick. So everybody um, the, can... the birth of the everyday real estate investor, everyday real estate investor. Yep, Got the everyday it. Real estate investor. So, um, and you know, we, we also, I'll do another shameless plug. We also put on what's called the home flipping workshop. You can Google that online. We've got uh, over 1200 five-star reviews. We've been doing that for over six years now and have thousands of students. And uh, again, that's called the home flipping workshop. You can go to homeflippingworkshop.com or just Google it online, but you can read the reviews. And we, we take three days and we walk people virtually through how to find the deals, how to fund the deals, how to fix them, how to flip them, how to, how to hold them if need be. We do some short-term stuff, some long-term stuff, but um, you know, a lot of times we find that flipping is good people that want to have cash. Because because buying and hold is good. It's it's a tough strategy to cash flow. It's a tough one to cash flow. You know, in bigger numbers. If you you know, we we try and help our students flip a couple houses in their first year and make a hundred thousand dollars in net profit. That's what we try to have them do in the first in the first year. If you can make a hundred grand in twelve months, you got some options, right? Maybe you want to more. And we always encourage them to start working working towards rentals. That's our one big regret, I think. We didn't start oh, rentals sooner. We started rentals earlier. Yeah. But we also, at the at the workshop, we also give all of our students, it's called the Home Flipping Evaluator. So we actually go, we go on camera and walk through a house and, and it's line by line. And it helps them figure out the material and labor costs of what that house is going to cost to renovate, how much your money cost is, is going to be, the interest rate and all that stuff. And then, you know, holding costs and closing costs and all of that yeah. stuff. So it, it lets people know whether that deal is a hero or a zero and whether they are even in the ballpark to make an offer on it. The biggest thing, and you know, you know, this being an investor, we make our money when we buy in real estate. Now, you know, long-term we make our money on the hold, we make a lot of money there, but if you don't buy it right, you, you can buy a house wrong. It's just it take you more time to make up the profit, right? Over time, it take you more years. Where if you buy a house right, you know, if you do the Burr method, I'm sure you talk about that and teach that with your listeners, I'm sure. But the Burr method when you're when you're buying and you know, re, you know, renovate, refinance, repeat, all that kind of stuff, uh, or rent and repeat, there's you can pull cash out and that's tax-free cash, but you gotta buy it right to do that. If you want to cash flow a rental business, you're gonna have to buy them deep. 50 cents in a dollar, 40 cents in a dollar, you're gonna have to find those deals. And that's what we spent a lot of time going over how to find those deals at the workshop because that's where it starts, right? How do you how do you right. find out for the deals? And then we go over funding. We we have to fund our deals. We use private lenders. That's a whole different whole different uh, podcast we could do. We have we use private lenders for all of our stuff. We raised about five million dollars, I don't know, ten years ago. We have those same investors to this day. One passed away, but other than that, two have passed away. Other than that, though, we still have the same investors, and that's how we fund all of our deals. So that's how we do it. Awesome. So. Do you guys choose a market specifically to flip stuff or did you just start out like, okay, I'm just going to buy this in the town that I'm in so I can get my hands on it so I can learn how to do it. Or were you guys having to uh, invest 
out of state? Because New York can be tricky, I know. Well, we're upstate where, where our office is and our team is up there. It's upstate New York. So it's, again, like Amber said, about two and a half hours north of the city. So it's the country. I grew up with cows in my backyard. So we're like in towns and, you know, villages, that kind of stuff. About a million people in the in the total, the capital region up there. We don't love it because it's, it's that New York's not a very business friendly state by any stretch of the imagination. So it can be challenging, but we didn't know any better. And I encourage anybody getting started to do it near you if you can. You know, if you live in Southern California and the starting price is, you know, 900000 for a one bedroom, nothing, that's going to be a little more challenging. But it, we, we have friends who do it. I mean, that you can do it, but it's going to be a little more challenging. But if you have to travel, try not to travel too far so you can at least get your hands on it and be able to. I'm not saying do the flip work yourself. We're all about leveraging and hiring out contractors. But I think that it's important that you be able to see it if you can, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. um, I, I, I recommend doing it near your own home. You know it. You have connections there. You know the area. You can research it. You, you know, keep your eyes on. Yeah. When you're brand new, we don't do any Well. I laugh, right? I said we were doing flips long distance, but I guess we're in Florida now. They're still happening. We did hundred last. We did hundred and one last year, and we're we're in Florida there in New York. We didn't see any of them, so I guess we we do that now. But that just sort of happened organically. We didn't seek another area that we didn't know. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think short term rentals are a little bit of a different play on that, though. I think I think it sure. is more important to it is important to find a good market, and there's so many good tools out there now to analyze and and figure that out. That I I think with Airbnbs. And, and there's even like management companies that'll come in and take care of all the cleaning and repairs and all of that. So I, yeah. I think, I think for that, I would definitely be open to that. Yeah. yeah. So with our long terms, we started with one that was probably 15 minutes from the house that we lived in. And then once we figured out how to do it and that one, I wouldn't call it a rehab. It, we had to redo carpet and paint. So just a little bit like light. And then from there, we were in Nashville and Nashville was blowing up at the time. So by the time we had, we were ready to buy another long-term, uh, Nashville didn't make sense anymore. So we had to scoot over to Chattanooga, which was about two hours away. And then Chattanooga kind of ran out of steam because it seemed like we were always right before everybody else, just like a minute before, or maybe at the same time. So we were able to like grab up a few things and then, and then, you know, everybody knew about it, all the Californians. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think it is a good idea, especially when you're doing long terms to figure one out nearby. And then if you need to pivot to a new market at that point, you already kind of know what you're doing a little bit, yeah. uh, but still choose a market that you might be a little bit familiar with. Um, don't just like, I personally am probably not running off and buying something in Cincinnati, Ohio, because I, I, I know nothing about that. Um, right. So right. yeah, you want to choose something that you have a little bit of, of insight into, although people do it every day where they just educate themselves on a market and do it. Um, but it does, it is a little bit different with long terms than with short terms for sure. For right. sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, guys, so we're to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone who comes on the show. And the first question is what advice would you give 20 year old Glenn and Amber? Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like he said earlier, we would start buying rentals earlier, but as far as the 20 year old version of us. I would have to say, don't let your self-limiting beliefs get in your way of achieving your goals. I think That's when you're, one. when you're so, when, you know, when you're young, like you're listening to all this, you have all this information coming at you and it's really hard to focus and you have doubts from either the way you were raised or life experiences that you've had. And I, I, I think that that holds, I mean, I know it held me back and I think it holds a lot of people back. So I would just say, if you've got a goal and a dream, 
Don't let anything stop you, even even your own thoughts. And get around and to that elaborate on that is get around the right people. You know, when you're young, sometimes you're intimidated to be around people that are successful. The truth is, I love when young people come up and talk to me in, at meetings and whatnot. I'm like, oh my gosh, you I remember when I was 20, I was 19. You know, you get older, you'll find in life, you get older, you still feel young in the head. Your body reminds you that you're not, but you're in your in the in my head, I'm still 19, 20 sometimes, right? I still act this sometimes, my wife tells me, but <laughs> but but I I think you have to get around people, even though you're intimidated, probably. Um, it's important to get around those people and find ways that you can interact with them. Don't just go up and say, hey, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, find ways to interact with those people. Be part of a, a group with them. Get out of your comfort zone. Join organizations where you'll be rubbing shoulders with people and serve as much as you can. Offer to help for free. You know, that kind of stuff I, I give my I would tell myself to not be so cocky when I was young and think I know everything and try and get around people that know more than I do because relationships will take you so much further than anything else in your life. Who you associate with will absolutely skyrocket you to whole different levels because they know things that you don't know. And even the people at the, at the billionaire level, they hang around their billionaires and multi-billionaires. And you know what I mean? There's, they're, they hang around, their, everybody, you should be hanging around people that will help you level up to a new level in life. And when you become the smartest person in that room, go find a new room. That's what I tell my 20-year-old self. Great advice. And kind of along those same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today in today's current economic climate? Come to the home flipping workshop. plug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I got no. That's what the end of the show is for. <laughs> because if you just go out there and try to wing it, you're gonna you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. And one thing that we really try to teach people is how to fold time. You know, it's either going to take time or money to get or a combination of both to get you where you want to go. And if you want to get there faster, find somebody that has you want what you want and do what they do to get there. So education is so crucial because it's a lot easier to to run on a track that's already built than laying the track as you go. Find somebody that has experience through multiple markets. Right. I think that's where we stand out. Like we have been through multiple market cycles, so we know. People that have just been involved in the last three, four, five years, honestly, no disrespect, they have no idea what's about to come. Like they maybe think of they've read about it. We've lived it, right? You can, you can read about being in a storm at sea or you can be in it. Who you, who you rather want to be your captain of your ship? And then the, the person other, who's been through it, right? The other so. thing I would say is they have to take action because there's so many people. I mean, we get told all the time, oh, it's so cool. I want to be a real estate investor. I watch all the TV shows and I want to do this, but they don't take action. You know, turn that want into something in action, let me, you, you got to do it. Let me tell you a funny story as we wrap it up. There's a, we're having a lot of renovation work done in our house. There was a painter that was here. She comes in the door one day, she's on the phone and she's talking about a wholesale deal. Now our company has wholesale. I don't know how many millions of dollars worth of wholesales in New York. And she's talking about wholesale. I said, oh, are you a wholesaler? She goes, yeah, yeah, I just went to a course and she was all jacked up on wholesaling. I said, oh, do you know who Amber and I are? And she's like, no. She kept on talking about herself, talking about herself. I said, you might want to think about Googling us. Just, you know, whatever. She never did, never said a word about it. And she consequently, she's been here doing work and she, you know, drives a beat up old car and whatever. No, no judgment to that, but clearly is struggling to find something new in her life. She's in my freaking living room talking to me. And I've done a thousand deals, a hundred million dollars worth of business. We live on the ocean. She, Hello. So sometimes there's people right in front of you. I even said to her, you gotta just take a look and see who we are. Cause I thought I'm not going to push myself on you. But I'd be more than happy to mentor you and give you some pointers. You're in my home. You're painting my bedroom wall. I'd be happy to give you some pointers, but she never did. And so she had all these dreams and aspirations and then, and then had somebody right in front of her that could have 
opened up some doors for, but it, so just don't miss sometimes opportunity is right smack dab in front of you. You just got to make sure you're looking sometimes for it. It is. Yeah. You were right about that. Okay. Last question. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Well, we were just wrote a book called the Birth <laughs> <laughs> So, Oh God. I, I think it's the unf yourself book. Yeah, that's I I read a lot. I mean, there's a lot of them. Well, there's two of them. And what to say when you talk to yourself by Shad Homesteader. That's an older book, but it was it was probably the very first book I read on on mindset and self talk, and that really opened my and it's and it's pretty easy read. It's a shorter book, but it was it was really really good. The Four Agreements is also another good one. But then there's a, a more modern book called an un, un F yourself by John Gary Bishop. John Gary Bishop, and it. I, I preferred the audible to reading it because you get to hear his tone and because sometimes things can be lost in translation when you're reading it. And when you hear the author's tone and how he actually really means it, it is such a brilliant book Yeah. that, you know, we, we all have these stories we tell ourselves about who we are and why we're the way we, why we're the way we are. Well, you know, my dad did this to me or my mom did this to me. And, um, and then it, so it, it goes into that and then it goes into you know, expectations we have in life. And it's just, it's, it's a really good book. Yeah. That, that, that's probably my favorite. Now I've, I've read hundreds of books over the years. I read, I just, the audible popped up and said, you read these books last year. And I read like 20, 22 books, I think last year, which is decent. That's about my pace that I read. And I say, read, I listen. I'm an audible guy. So I try and take them in and listen, but yeah, that's my, uh, two, two of our favorites for sure. Awesome. So last thing, thank you guys so much for coming. And if our listeners want to learn more about you, buy your book, take your course, where can they find you? Best place, the best place, the best place is to go to glennandamber.com because we, we do have a lot going on. So we thought it'd just be easy to put it all in one spot, but there's links to all of the stuff that you just mentioned, plus our podcast and social media platforms. Our new show, all, yeah. Our new show, yeah. Our new show called The Big new, Flipping Break yeah. just, just hit. That's that's out there now, so it's exciting, but yeah. So glennandamber.com. All right. Well, thank you guys again so much for coming on, and we'll catch you later. Thanks for having us, Avery. Thanks.